everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hello. Hello, indeed. Season 7, Episode 2. I'll have you know, we did say that we were going to do business mini-series throughout this episode. That is still happening. We are refining it. Sam just dropped me an email with literally a whole season's worth of things that we're going to do. And it's looking spicy. I like it a lot. Um, Sam's the plan man. Sam the plan man. For this, this I have a plan. Sam. Sam. Sam I am. Sam I am. Sam the plan. All right. All right. All right. Here we are. So, episode two. Mm -hmm. This is coming directly from a DM that I received. And it revolves around the whole notion of, I guess, I suppose the question, the habit, the phase, the ever, that everyone's in of, should you have to convince people to work with you? Um, this really comes from an idea of you might have a client who used mixers in the past and maybe... They're not using mixers and they're coming to you. It's like, should you convince that person to go back to a mixer? Or they're like, hey, I'm going to master my own stuff. And it's like, ah, this could go many ways. I don't know. So it's like, or you maybe you see somebody who is mastering or mixing or doing their own stuff. And you're like, maybe you should like use a professional. And it's like, they could have a better result if they just, you know, asked for help or... You know, you could be their Superman, Superwoman, whatever you are. Um, Super. So this is the whole the the whole idea of like, should you have to convince people to work with you? But before we get into that, Sam, why don't you take us into a touch, a bit, a skosh oh. of housekeeping? Woohoo! Housekeeping, my friends. Thank you so much for being here for another lovely episode. And this unique time you have to like, share, subscribe to this podcast, screenshot the episode you're listening to, tag us, please help us. Tag us on Instagram. Tag me, Most Mastering. Tag Matt for the record mastering. We will repost it. We will holler at you and get to know you, which has been the best part of this housekeeping uh, little adventure we've been on for the last couple of years. Uh, we really love getting to know our audience one-on-one. Uh, we learn from you, you learn from us, and we all finish records better together. So do us a solid, please. Share it and uh, help grow the community and help make better records. Okay, that's it. Nice. Well done, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Okay, carry on. High five, both of <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, great job. Me. However many of you there are over there. <sighs> um. So I'm going to tee you up and... I'm going to adjust my mic, so I apologize for noise. Um, I'll tee you up with a question. Yeah, okay. Who should you be approaching to work with like, as a client? Mm. Well, I usually, at this stage, approach people that I feel like I would be a good fit in serving them as far as the type of music they're making and working on. Or maybe I know a little bit about the team they use, so meaning like engineers, producers, or mixer. And I have checked out their music. I've done some due diligence. And I decide that, you know what? I really dig what they're doing or their team is doing. Dig the ethos, dig their mission. You know, they seem to be going somewhere and driven to do something much like I feel like I am. And so then I will reach out to them and just usually say, hi, I like this record or I like this work you guys are doing or gals are doing or everybody's doing. And I usually just start it with a compliment and it's an honest compliment. And then sometimes we talk about the record or sometimes talk about what's coming up. And then sometimes I ask them, I just shoot my shot and say, I would love to master your record. And then sometimes they say, well, great. Or sometimes they say, well, we've already got somebody. And that's kind of where it lands. (laughs) That's kind of the overview. So I go after people I feel like I would personally be a really good fit for. 
from a artistic standpoint. And then once I get to know them, usually within the first conversation, I will evaluate then the relational side of it because that's super important. So sometimes I'll reach out to people, be like, love this record, blah, blah, and blah, blah, blah. I mean like actual things I mean. But then the interaction is very like... Not so blah. Yeah, not so blah. Um, but for sake of, you know, podcasts and me being long-winded, um, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, but then the interaction can be very, you know, awkward's the wrong word, but just, you know, sometimes you just don't connect with people or it's clear they're not wanting to talk or maybe they're busy or whatever. And so if that's the case, then I'm like, okay, cool. I can just enjoy the art that they're creating. And that's that. And I wish them all the best. (laughs) You know, there's no sourness towards it. But I look for people that first I really like, you know, what they're making and the records they're making. And then I evaluate the relationship potential of it. So how about that? Now, are you looking... I, I know. I know. A while back, you were a LinkedIn guy. I don't know if we're yeah. still on this whole thing. Are you? Are, is that primarily where you're searching, or are you? Yeah, going, LinkedIn, you know, Instagram, and Instagram. I mean, LinkedIn, on Facebook, literally. With <laughs> yeah, no grandmas. Um, not really my genre. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn is still great. I literally have been talking to a new major label, um, like literally in the last two to three months, I reached out to one of their A&Rs, and this is like a, a label that does a ton of hip-hop and rap of records I love, and I just hit them up and said, hey, I love this record. I saw that you were the person you know, who found this artist, and I would love to talk and learn about how you go about picking your team for the records. And the guy messaged me back and you know, said thank you, and he was like, why don't we just get on a phone call next week and we can talk about it. So I got on a phone call the next week literally with one of the head A&Rs and we just talked about where they're at with this artist and what they're doing and the guy asked me to send over some stuff so I did and their team listened to it and was like, you do great work and then he looked at my discography and there were a couple like pop records he really liked and he was like, I actually am fans of these artists that you've done. And so he nice. was like, I want to keep your name in the hat for the next time, you know, when we're ready for mastering. So I was like, great, I'll just Hell keep yeah. following up. But that was via LinkedIn. Like, super, that's a real story. <laughs> and I don't want to mention the specifics, but it's real. Like, LinkedIn, you can search anything you want. Mixers, A&Rs, you know, publishers. And I only go after people that I like. Like, I went to this person specifically because I stumbled across this new rapper who's on the up and up and, like, not super famous, but, you know, signed. And I I always then go and try to figure out who made this happen. Because most people don't get, like, semi-successful on accident or successful, like, you don't end up on New Music Friday normally accidentally or on a bunch of editorial playlists or, you know, start showing up on feeds or things like that. There's usually some sort of formula or team behind it. And on Spotify now, they, you know, they have like uh, writers and, you know, usually the company, the label or who, you know, is releasing it. So I just look those people up and then I tell them thank you for creating great art that I enjoy, you know, and if something comes of it, great. And if not, that's fine too. Like my motive is basically I view it as like, is there a way to make this mutually beneficial? Yes, I'm asking for something, but they're also, they have problems they need to solve. They want to work with great people and people that help finish records well. And if I've learned anything in this industry, most of the time, like, for, I don't know, not for some reason, but a lot of people are not sold on their mastering engineer, like at the end of the day, because the Mm -hmm. mastering engineer makes it difficult or is not really a quote-unquote master engineer or under-delivered or the mixer's refs were better than the masters they got back. And really, I boil it down to just like people don't do enough due diligence and don't communicate well when they're a master engineer. Like that's time and time again and or they take feedback too personally or they just 
assume they know best and they're just going to do that regardless of if everybody else is like, no, we just don't care. If you think the bass is too loud, we don't care. We like the bass. And the master engineer goes, well, too bad. <laughs> like, you're wrong. So people are looking to collaborate more than ever. And maybe back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean like 20 years ago, that was like allowed and master engineers could have that clout and that authority to do that. But I think things have really changed. And I think people are looking for collaborators more than like a dictator type relationship and mastering. And um, that's, I use LinkedIn, yeah. And then Instagram's great for, I use Instagram more so for like artists, finding artists. When I work on a project I like with an artist, I'll usually look at who they follow because they're usually following other artists they like. And if they like those artists, then I'll probably like those artists most time. Yeah. And that's an easy way to A, discover cool new music, but B, the referral and or, you know, connection between the new person you might reach out to is, you know, you have somebody on your side already who loves your work. And it's an easy thing. I don't ever use anyone's name without asking them. But sometimes I'll go to an artist I work with and say, hey, do you know this band? You guys follow each other. You guys comment on stuff. Like, I love their work too. You know, do you know who does their stuff? Or like, who do they use? And they're usually like, oh, I'd love, you know, that's fine. Go talk to them. Like, I'll set up an intro email. Um, So, you know, there's just, there's ways to go about to market to people um, I think that's a mutually beneficial way. And I think people don't think about that idea of mutual beneficial. Like, yes, you're asking for something probably at the end of the day. Your motive can be pure, but also asking for something. I don't think it's sleazy to want to work with people. <laughs> like, that's kind of why we're here on earth is to like create. Well, you're not trying to sell them something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not selling and, and I'm so not it's convincing. Like selling, yeah, selling can seem sleazy. Right. But you're not trying to sell. It's like you're just saying, it's like, hey, I think I'd be a great fit for you. Right. Yeah, and I don't... There's nothing sleazy about that. I think the big thing for me, like, I mean, to, like, loop into this podcast topic, like, should you convince people to work with you? Like, I think convincing often intertwines with the idea of, like, you're trying to change a person on some level. And Mm. I think trying to change people is a really hard thing to do and often a waste of time. And... You know, I think for me, like, everybody has unique characteristics, unique likes, wants, needs, desires. And so when I look for people to work with, you know, like I said before, it just takes time to understand everybody. And I try to spend time understanding the client, who they are, what they want. And then, like I said, I can figure out quickly, like, am I going to have to change this person, aka convince this person to trust me, to work with me, to like my work? And I can usually figure that out quickly or, you know, the other way around of somebody might get referred to me and then it's like all of a sudden they're like, why should I work with you? And I'm like, yeah, you came to me, you know, <laughs> why, why did you come to me? You know, and uh, I don't, I don't even want to, I guess I'll call a game like I don't play the convincing game like I used to when I was starting because I didn't know any better and I didn't know any different and I thought, if I can essentially manipulate people to trust me, manipulate's a strong word, but my motive was, you know, 14 years ago, very much like I got to convince everybody that I'm, essentially the problem was I wanted to convince everybody year one that I was way farther along than I was because I assumed that's how this worked. I assumed that I needed to look official, you know, like Napoleon Dynamite with Kip when he's like, we got to get some you know, gold name tags. We got to look official. (laughs) Like I wanted to look official on year one and the reality was I wasn't official on year one. I was just like stumbling through this idea of being a master engineer and what it means to finish records. And even the concept of finishing records was not even in my brain year one. Like that phrase, finishing records and associating that with mastering came to me literally like seven years later. (laughs) Like of just kind of this... You know, and I didn't even make up the idea of mastering, obviously, or finishing records. But for me to digest it and understand it and what it means for me as a service provider, um, you know, I just, I just no longer convince people. I don't try to convince people. I explain to them what I do and what I offer. 
and then it's up to them. But I don't spend time trying to change them because that's such a hard thing to do. Because people will mm-hmm. usually come to you either ready to trust you or they're coming to you ready to be skeptical the whole time. And I just I don't want to spend my time with the skeptical person and like have to work really hard to not only obviously give them a great product, but within that, then I still have to convince them that it is a great product. Where I have a lot of clients that I agree to work with or that come to me now because I've really carved out who I work with of like, they know it's going to be great. They're excited to hear it. It's the opposite of convincing. Like they're just, they're stoked to work with me and it's mutually beneficial. I'm stoked to work with them. And there is this, I'll say, adult and or like professional respect of knowing you make me better and I make you better. You make me money, I make you money. Like it's mutually beneficial. Like their record sounds better, it competes better, so they make more money, you know, because more people usually hear it. It ends up on playlists better, it just sounds better, labels like it. So they make more money, then they come back and give me money to do my job, and it just keeps going around and around. And the momentum usually keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of what I mean by like mutually beneficial is like there's a level of maturity that comes with um, being professional. And I think if you're in this for a long time, you have to learn how to present yourself in a mature way and also present yourself to people and being willing to essentially you know, lose the gig or not get the gig because you're not going to sit there all day and try and convince someone to change their mind or change their whole. Maybe it's a an approach to life in general. That's what, you know, for people that need convinced, they often want to be convinced on everything in their life. And that I get that. Like, usually that's because they've had a bad experience or they, you know, they've had trust broken over and over again. And unfortunately, in the music industry, there is a lot of um, people who just like claim to be something, then they charge some money to someone and then they totally crap the bed, you know? So then the person's like, well, crap, like, hired this person who said they're a master engineer, paid them a hundred bucks. Turns out it's terrible. Now I'm going to the next quote unquote master engineer. Like, you know, they're like, I want to be convinced. And that gets into the whole thing of like, I don't want to pay you, you know, until you're done with the project. And even then, if I don't like it, then I don't want to pay you. So it's kind of this delicate balance of having boundaries, not trying to change people's minds. And then, you know, there's establishing trust and, I just, I don't really try and convince people anymore, you know, and once you have like a small portfolio of songs, you know, you can present to people, you really should keep the, in my opinion, like the relationship and the conversation with that person being like, hey, thanks so much for reaching out, checked out your music, I think I'm a great fit. You know, if you're new and you don't, you're not established, you could say, here's a little, here's a Spotify discography of pop songs I've done. You know, if you like the way the sound, that's what I can, you know, kind of push your music towards or make it sound like this. And if you like that, just let me know. We can book a session. And that's yeah. as simple as it is. And if they start picking apart everything, you know, you get to decide, you know, how you want to interact with it. But at this stage, you know, there's, it's almost like you know, you can tell, and I have grace for this because I used to be this way, but like you can tell who's made a song and who hasn't. You know, you can tell who's on their third record and who's never made a record. Because, you know, the newer people, greener people, and, you know, I used to be this way when I, like, first got to town. I've mentioned other episodes of, like, you know, I used to think it was really cool to just be in a studio, which it is really cool to just be in a studio. But when you, you know, spend then 10 years in studios and all the studios, it's kind of like, ah, that's not really, like, the thing, like cool to be in a studio but you got to do a lot more than just be in a studio like you have to have a business and relationships and life goes on and life comes up and things happen and you know you kind of like uh you demystify and like you stop romanticizing like being in the studio the first few years me being in the studio within like a year i was like gosh i wish i could just leave the studio like you're tired of being in it for 12 hours because it's like a cave (laughs) you're like oh if i could just go outside um you know or not hear this guitar riff for the 30th time today like you know it's not all you know cotton candy but anyway my long monologue here is um i really try to find people that share some of the similar 
you know, approaches, mindsets, and desires and goals. I try to surround myself with those sorts of people. I try to go after those people. And that requires, you know, me doing due diligence, me having conversations, me making a small investment that may turn out to be nothing. Like that's part of this. And um, then, you know, I just, I make a decision if it's worth, you know, the, the investment and they're investing into me too. And I try to work with those sorts of people. So those are kind of my thoughts on that. What do you think, Matt? <laughs> Where would you like me to start? We've <laughs> been down the rabbit hole. I know. Do you, what do you think about convincing people to work with you? You know, have you done it? Do you do it? Is there a, <coughs> you know, what do you think? My favorite, I don't know. And I, there's a part of me and it's like, I know that like there's always like a bit of like you know self doubt in kind of like what I'm saying, but it's like there's always like a part of me of like I love the referral game, which like who doesn't? Because it's yes. like oh yeah, someone's coming to you because somebody's saying nice, somebody has said something nice about you, or yeah. they listened to a record you did, a song you did, whatever, and they're like, hey, I love what you did here. And it's like that's obviously my favorite way to get clients. Um, as far as like convincing somebody to work with me, uh, I mean, there's always that thought of, am I going to have to, even though I know the master is going to be better than what they're going to probably just like slam an L2 or something with, um, it's like there's still that whole thing of like, am I going to have to con- like still convince them to like the master. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, yeah, you're going to level match it with your own stuff. You're going to slam it to death and it didn't cost you my rate. And so it's just like, there's there's that as well. And it's like, man, I don't really, I don't really know if I want to work with somebody who I have to kind of twist their arm, you know? Right. It's like, that's not necessarily... A client that I want, like I, I, I want to make sure that like I'm as approachable as I possibly can be, um, and so it's like, in all honesty, it's generally why I don't approach at the artist level. Um, I think, in all honesty, I did until I met you, hmm. and yeah. you and I were really working through a lot of like, you know, who's your who's your like clientele and everything, and um, it's just like, man, you're getting like so much more like bang for your buck and I don't even know if that's the correct phrase when you go to mix engineers and producers as your clients because in general it's like are they really wanting at the end of the day to make like the extra like whatever they're charging for mastering and so it's like even if they do like the extra cash Mm -hmm. there's the whole like big well, am, am I really mastering it? Like, is it really as good as it could be? And, like, there's a bit of, like, introspection of, am I hurting, like, what I've created by not, you know, taking this out to somebody else? And so <clears throat> those are the people that I really want to approach, like, people who really look at, like, the whole picture of what they are creating and about to put into the world and it's like my big thing is like I want to add value because somebody like if somebody is mastering their own mixes or whatnot um I I don't I don't want to have to convince somebody but I want to make sure that like if I can add value to their life and they're producing a product that I believe could be enhanced with like a proper mastering job it's I I would have no problem in doing some type of a demo or some type of a um like a test master or something like that for them. I actually I don't even know if I should say this on the air. I thought of the best way to do test masters. <laughs> like and it's like you know how like I have like those little tiny things that it's like it's like the slow burn like maniacal things. Like they're like yeah just send me like 30 seconds like I won't send you 30 seconds. I'll send you the whole song. But it's like you do something to where it's like they can't release it. Like right. you cut the fade just like in the middle of the fade. So it's like, well, we're at the end of the song's not there. Right. And so you can't release it. Just and it's a, like, but you have the whole song. Put a big it's like, yeah, I'll just put the producer tag in there. Like <laughs> Matt Garber mastering. <laughs> <laughs> Moses mastering. Exactly. And then the song resumes. Yep. Yeah. There's a 
there's a thing that does that. It's a uh, oh, what is it? There's like a when we were doing the podcast for my other company. If I go to if I type in beat, uh, I don't even think I'm gonna find it. Oh, premium beat, yeah. I was like buying like intros and stuff like that for the other for my other company, and like you'd like demo it and be like premiumbeat.com. You're like ah crap, <laughs> <laughs> they're getting you. And it like scared the heck out of me the first time I did it. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's like as in in my opinion, you really don't want to work with somebody that you have to convince because you have to convince them then I, I do feel like to a degree there's going to be this like self-doubt of like them trying to get to the point where like they're, they're figuring, they're trying to figure out, justify in their head, <clears throat> reverse engineer your master. And it's just like, it's like, hey, send me this, send me your mastering session. It's like, well, I, don't, I don't really think this is like a part of the relationship. And then you got to go on the whole thing of, well, I technically paid you, so do I own the session and stuff like that? It's like, I don't, I don't really want to go into that. Um, I don't know if you ever had that, but I've, I've just, I've had some kind of like, like weird things. And it's like, generally, I feel like if you have to convince somebody, mm-hmm. it's just really not a good relationship. Right. I do think what you were talking about is there's a big difference between convincing and pursuing. Mm, yes. And so I think pursuing a relationship as opposed to convincing somebody into a relationship, the convincing implies apprehension. Nice. And the pursuing implies like, you know, I have the intent to like create a professional relationship with you. As you were saying, Sam, like this is both like mutually beneficial for like all parties. Yeah. I can deliver your music to a, point that I do not believe it is currently uh, residing at and it's like and you can continue to send me work if you like it and potentially refer friends Um, so I do think there's a difference in like convincing and pursuing so I think I'll put an addendum there Um, so I think I think that's that I think that answers the question Um, so I touched on something that I'd like for you to touch on. Mm. Um, what about people who are mastering on their own, mastering their own mixes? Are um, you going to try to go after those guys and gals? Probably not. I don't usually. And this is coming from someone I used to master my own mixes when I was mixing a lot the first few years and had success as a mastering engineer mastering my own mixes and a mix engineer. Success on both. But I was doing both. Um, during that, what's interesting during that time of me, I'm going to say mixing professionally in town for like three years and doing like major label work, no one ever asked to master my mixes. <laughs> like, no one ever approached me and be like, hey, I'd love to be your master engineer. Um, which is kind of interesting. I literally never thought about that. But, um, but people that are mastering their own mixes, I probably won't go to or approach um, mainly because they've probably decided to do that for a number of reasons. Either they really, you can like your master of your mix because yeah. I was that person who was like, the couple times it did get sent out, um, you know, the people ended up using my original reference or really just mix, um, you know, to put out. And then when people would come to me to mix, I would just tell them, I also, you know, I, I mix into my mastering chain. And, you know, by that, that made sense to them. For me, it meant, you know, I'd finish a mix and then dump it into a new session and master it with a mastering approach. But, um, you know, I, I think that people that are mastering their own mixes usually are doing that either out of a money, uh, you know, they don't have budget for it, which is, you know, "Quote unquote understandable," and and or they just really like what they're creating, and they think, "Well, why should I complicate this?" Or or they don't see the value yet in having a different perspective. And at the same time, saying that they may just think, "I don't want that. I don't want a different perspective. I want this to be a hundred percent me. Like it rises with me, it falls with me, and I kind of get that too." 
So I usually, I don't think I've ever, let me think, I don't think I've ever like pursued someone who was already mastering their own stuff. I've had people come to me who were and say, hey, I've just always mastered my own stuff and I just don't like, they don't like it. They're like, I just can tell it's not competing. It doesn't sound, you know, the way it should. And, you know, I'm tired of like trying to figure this out. I have that like probably like once a month now where people give it a go or they've done it for a few years and they're like, you know what, this just isn't doing it. And that could be a number of things. It could be they have a misunderstanding of kind of the auto creation process as a whole that like sourcing matters, engineering matters, production matters, mixing mixing matters, and mastering matters. Like it all matters. So if you kind of skimp on, you know, say four or five of those parts, um, and don't forget good songwriting is in there too, then, you know, if you skimp five to 10% on each part, then you've like taken away like 60% of the potential. If like each part is, you know, you're not doing 100% on anything, you're doing like 80 to 90%, then that's a large deficit at the end of the day compared to someone who has either honed in their skills or they have a team around them of quote unquote experts who are really good at each thing. Um, so I have a number of those people all the time all the time, really, at this stage, who say, I'm just tired of trying to master. I don't understand it, you know, and I'd like you to just do it, do that. So, but yeah, I don't, I've never gone after, I don't think somebody who is consistently mastering their own mixes. um, Sometimes, now I'll say this, sometimes I will reach out. Now, how about this? Okay. There was a pop artist two years ago, a young kid who I love, who I reached out to him on SoundCloud. I heard him on SoundCloud and said, hey, love this record. You know, who's working on it? And he said, I did everything. I wrote it, I produced it, engineered it, mixed it, mastered it. And I said, you know, how do you feel about that? Like, I told him, I was like, it sounds terrific. And I was like, I really like it. And he brought up, he was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. He's like at the mix and master stage. He's like, I feel pretty good about my mixes. He's like, but when it came to mastering, he was like, I just threw on like Slate, you know, what is it? FGX, FXG? Yeah. That thing? Um, he's like that. And then like Ozone and then like Fab Filter. And he was like, you know, it just sounded kind of like the records I was listening to. And I was like, that's great. Like, you've got good ears. Like, you're close, you know, and I think you're there. And But he still had desires for it to be, you know, different or hit bigger. It felt thinned out. It was loud but not full, like some of the records. So I just asked him then, you know, this is once again an established relationship. Like, I told him, I sent him some pop stuff I had done. He was like, this sounds like what I want my stuff to sound like. I was like, great. Mm-hmm. I was like, why don't you just send me a mix? Let me hear what your, you know, where your mix was before you threw all that on there. You know, and that I heard the mix and I was like, this mix is pretty good. You know, it's got some headroom. It's it's definitely more full than the master. And so then, you know, then comes the the pitch of like, I believe that I can make this sound like these records you like, you know, if if you let me master it. And, you know, then you I present my rates. I always tell people, like, it's not free. Like, I didn't do a test for him. I said, this is what I charge. And I said, you know, I can do it. And he was like, okay, great, do it. So I did it. And then since then, I've worked with him. Um, So he's a person who was mastering, you know, all his mixes, but I didn't know that. But there was a pursue and a relationship building, I think, to me more than, I never tried to convince him. I just, eventually, he had brought up a problem. I presented you know, I can be the solution. And then it was on him to decide if he thought it was worth the investment. Um, and I think that's for, you know, a lot of people out there, you have, to, you have to let people decide if the investment's worth it once again. Like, you really do. And I think, you know, when you're, I would say, I guess I would say, like, obviously approach, if you know someone is mastering their own mixes, you know, you don't need my blessing to talk to anybody. Go approach them. If you dig the record, holler at them, see what they're doing, why they're doing it. But don't approach it. This is where a lot of people screw up, I feel like, or just people like to lie. You know, like they don't realize they're lying, but 
if you go to someone and you like the record and you say you like it and then you tell them you can make it better, mm-hmm. then that doesn't add up. And people notice that. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, I thought you said it was really good, which is like with people, I tell them like it's really good and really great. And then sometimes they might share with me, well, I didn't like this about it. You know, if they bring it up, then I'm like, okay, well, let me listen to that. You know, and then I usually have to tell them, well, I'd have to hear the mix, you know. And so they're like, okay, here's the mix, you know. And then I listen to the mix, and then sometimes I'll say, yeah, absolutely, the bottom end, where did it go? You know, or, oh, yeah, the vocal. Why is that, like, so, you know, harsh now? Or sometimes I'll hear the mix and go, sounds the same. Like, it sounds correct, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And then that's a situation where I'm usually like, you know, it was actually in the mix, or, you know, maybe it wasn't communicated correctly to the master engineer what you wanted. So every situation is different. And um, I think you just have to decide, you know, I like the idea of pursuing over convincing. Like, that's really well said. And um, I think that's probably, to summarize what I was rambling about for so long, is, is that's <laughs> it. You know, it's for me, it's about finding the right people to work with. And when I feel like I, I have a great connection with someone and the music is exactly what I want to do, then I don't feel like I have to convince them, you know, to do, to, to work with me or to do things. Like, it'll just naturally happen. They'll naturally be appreciative. I'll be appreciative of what they're doing. It's mutually beneficial. And then we make a great record together. And then sometimes we make another great record together, but sometimes they want to go somewhere else and that's fine. And I don't convince them. Yeah. I used to be... When someone would go somewhere else early on in my career, I literally, I mean, it makes me cringe. I would email them and be like, why just, why, how come I didn't, you know, in some, I try to why say it in a nice way, like, why didn't I get this record? What happened? Did I do something wrong? Like, insecurity. And it never went well. <laughs> like, that yeah. email response, it either was not a response, and I never heard from them again ever, you know, or it was a response of they might have not liked it as much as they thought you know, or what they said initially, you know, maybe they told me up front, like, oh, yeah, it's great. And then a month later, maybe they listened to it again or somebody said something to them and then they're like, you know what? That's not as good as I thought it was. Mastering didn't do that great of a job. Like, but for the most part, what I've learned and shared in the podcast is like people work with different people all the time. They go through different seasons. They work with different teams. Maybe they want to make this type of record and those people have a team of people and then they go to this producer who has their team of people and so I really try to respect that you know and um, you know if somebody wants to go somewhere else I usually just now at this stage I feel like I have the emotional maturity to just enjoy that record too like I have one pop artist who's really popular and I work on his stuff like 70% of the time and 30% of the time it goes to somebody totally random like just because that's who he was working with that day in LA. Like they had their own people and we've been doing stuff for like five years and it used to kind of drive me bonkers, but now I don't even think about it. Now I'm just like, hey bro, that's a great song. Like that one slaps, you know, it's great. Because it is great. Like (laughs) there are a lot of great people in this industry, which is awesome. Like there's a lot of talent. Like Matt, you're a great master engineer. I'm a great master engineer. Thank you. There's lots of people in this community great mastering engineers. Y'all crush it. The people we usually meet and end up talking to. And I tell you, y'all do great work. Like, all of us are firing at a very high level, which makes me very happy. (laughs) And, you know, like, a number of us could do the same record. It all sound different, but it all definitely, you know, people would dig it probably. And it would come out and it would do probably the same, you know, if it was marketed the same. So anyway... Um, shout out to our audience being great master engineers. Um, but yeah, I remember Go ahead. on an Talk. early episode. <clears throat> I'm sorry for the cough. I'm had uh, a little bit of the <laughs> a little bit of the leftover Rona from last uh, last week. Uh, I actually had to skip podcasting last week because I could not talk at all. Um, I remember in an early episode talking about an early struggle that I had. And there's also like things in life where 
I'm to a place where I know it's just my own BS that I have to work through. Yes. Like, I remember, I'll get pretty personal here. I remember when my wife and I first got married and like we were sharing a joint bank account. And as like, I was like, I don't really like want you to work. Like if you if you don't want to, like it wasn't like oh you're staying home. Like <laughs> there's none of that. It was like if you don't want to work, you don't have to. And um, like we were pregnant with Emery pretty quick, and so that a lot of that was kind of made up for us. But um, I remember there is this like weird thing. It's like I had said, yeah, I, there's no need for you to to work in this season. And but like sharing the the similar bank account and like seeing money leave the account, but it wasn't like me spending the money. It was somebody else spending the money that I, and it's like, it was like, it was a weird thing that like when I, when we first got married that like I had to get used to. And like, I had to tell her that like this bothered me, but do not like I told her, I said, Hey, I got to tell you something. This is bothering me, but it's just me and my own BS that I have to get over. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want you to change anything that you're doing because you are doing 100% like exactly what you need to be doing. You're doing like a fantastic job. This is just me and my own BS. I've just never had anyone else like spending like my money. And it's weird for me seeing like, you know, bank accounts like, you know, fluctuate and whatnot. And when you get married, you normally don't have a lot of money. But it's like, and I said, it's like, please do not change a thing you're doing. I'm just letting you know that this is going on. I just need to mentally process it, and I will be over this in like a day or so. There's no like ill will or any weird feelings towards you because you're doing this. It's just some BS that I've never had happen before, and now it's happening, and I have to get over this. (coughs) Very, very, very personal story I just told. Um, and there was nothing weird like between us, and she was like, "Okay, I appreciate you sharing that with me." And uh, and I reiterated, "It's like, please do not change a thing you are doing. You are you are lo- the most lovely person I ever met. I don't want you to feel self conscious about like spending any cash or doing whatever because I mean, you're yeah, you're just awesome." Um, and I got over it, and that was that was all good. And it was like within like you know the normal time frame. And it's like I knew mentally that like if I wasn't going to get over it in a certain amount of time, I probably should go talk to somebody. Um, but anyway, how does that relate to this conversation? I remember when I first like had you know clients go elsewhere and whatnot, and it's like it wasn't even like a better place. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a like it was like arguably a step down, and it's just like really. Really? And it's just it's just life and it's just the nature of stuff. And mentally I was just like from that first experience way back when, like I felt like the exact same kind of emotion. Be like, Matt, we just need to get over this. We're not gonna reach out and be like, What the hell are you doing? We're not gonna do anything. We're gonna sit here in this, we're gonna analyze our emotion like a sane human, and then we're gonna get over it and we're gonna applaud that the art is still being made. And that's how we are going to move forward. And it's like, is it still weird when like a client goes somewhere else? I mean, a little, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know why there's like any butt hurt with it. Like, I don't think there is, but it's like, it's more like, I wish I could have helped with that. And I, I was looking forward to working with whatever artist, like, I don't know, that was referring to. Um, but it's like, at the same time, that artist is on their own journey, and they have to grow. And who am I, you know, me and my high castle holding somebody back for the sake of my own ego? As like, who do I think I am? So it's like we can't really be like that. And it's you just you you know sit in that emotion. That's fine. That's healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy to let that emotion fester into a grudge. But you need to process it and understand, you know, like this is this is like a literal like healthy breathing organism. Like there's a whole like yin and yang when it comes to bands and studios and everything. And like people treat it emotionally because art 
is very like left-brained and very like emotional and the decisions that we make in it are emotional decisions which is cool but then there also comes down to like the business side of it and it's stuff that like we need to separate from and it's like okay the creating is over and it's like the relationship might continue but also for this artist whoever even like a mix engineer producer for them to continue to grow maybe they need to go do other things and maybe they'll come back to you and maybe they won't and you can pursue them if you want mm-hmm. by all means keep the relationship alive but and that's kind of what I was getting with with like the pursuing thing um there's i i mean like continuing a relationship for like the sake of like pursuing them i don't know that might be a touch salesy it's like if anything i would continue the relationship for the sake of like that's another human that you you know did business with and they're a good person and you want to like you know follow their career i don't think there's anything wrong with that mm-hmm. you like living vicariously through who they use as a mastering engineer might be a little weird but i mean all in all um I mean that was like like I feel like we all have those like things that we need to process and uh and things that we need to do. And this is like such a weird awkward episode too because it like okay cuz it's like what's the output outcome whatever of this episode? And it's you probably putting yourself in an awkward situation with another human being that like we're not too cool with as people today because we're all like you know, in front of our phones all the time and, like, not really understanding how to socialize with one another. And so, like, we're all, like, middle schoolers here, like, all awkward and kind of, like, weird growth stages and, like, not, like, things growing on you, but, you know, like, middle schoolers. It's, like, like their legs are really long, but their right. torso is short because they're, like, they're, like, humans that are in, like, a really weird growth phase. And, yes. like, the hormones are, like, you know, kicking in and some aren't and... Some people like wake up and their voice is deeper. Other people wake up and their voice is cracking all the time. And that was actually weird for me. I woke I remember I woke up at my parent my grandparents' house and my voice was just deeper. Yeah. My voice never cracked, never did anything. It was just like I woke up and I was like, Whoa, this is weird. Like this. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, <clears throat> the outcome of this episode is awkwardness. And so um, it's stuff that we have to be cool with and it's stuff that we have to process and like go forth with. So my last thing, Sam, Matt. and it's kind of a weird question, <laughs> is like how do you approach this thing? Are you like going out and being like, you know, Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street, like sell me this pen kind of thing? <laughs> or it's like like you have like a fork in the road at this point. Like you, you can either pursue or you can sell. Yeah, I think. And so... I mean, I, sorry, was that the question? I cut you off there. I mean, you asked I mean, it was, you know, nearing the end. I was long-winded. Yeah, you probably know. running out of air. Who knows? I'll answer it kind of quickly because we're yeah. getting close to time. I think for me, I don't... I think if I have to, like, rely on... As much as I do believe businesses selling on some level, like, you have to sell, I don't think... Um, I think if I'm in a position where I feel like I'm convincing someone like selling the pen that that if you have to do that every time it's extremely hard and exhausting and yeah. i think you know when i feel like i'm convincing someone it immediately for me personally i and i would imagine for the other person it's a terrible place to create from like approaching mm. a creative which should be like a fun celebratory stage of like, we're finishing the record, you've been working really hard on it, you know, and now we're going to call it done and you get to put it out and release it to the world and other people can engage with it. I think if you're constantly going from the, you've got to sell the pen, you know, to use like the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, Jordan Belfort. I actually really love his book, Straight Line Selling. It's on one of my favorite books because it's a it's a great book on understanding selling. It's heavy on script use. That's like his whole thing is script use and essentially rebuttal techniques. And not that those don't work. It works. Selling, like, you can do that. But if I learned anything from Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, look at the type of people that, like, 
you know, when you do that day in and day out, you kind of become this person who's almost a con artist. I mean, you're essentially scamming mm. people because you have the power to convince them and you lose sight that what you're convincing them to do or invest into is actually, you know, pink slip, slip, um, you know, penny stocks that are worth nothing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously if you're a master engineer and you're skilled, then, you know, you're not convincing them in theory to like something that has no value. But I just think that if you're going to always be working from essentially being put in the corner of trying to convince people to believe in you, trust you, that's so exhausting. And over time for me, it just robs the joy (coughs) of mastering. And I find too, in those early on situations where I felt like I was trying to convince someone, you know, and if I did get it, Usually it meant I compromise something. So usually like rate or quickness or speed or a thousand revisions, you know, where the client didn't know what they wanted. Or if I didn't get it, I was like, well, crap. I spent, you know, back when I first started, I was doing like on and off some like shootout stuff. And if you don't get the gig, then it's really easy to blame that person, blame yourself or blame your skill set. Or be like, oh, well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Or maybe I need to lower my rates. Or maybe I need to work Mm. faster. Maybe, you know, all these things, you can just like spiral if you don't Mm. get the gig or you don't close the sale and you can take it personally. And it's super easy to take it personally, especially if that person came to you and then you're trying to convince them. And then they're like, ah, you know, I'm going somewhere else. Or they don't even tell you. And then you just see the song come out. Had that happen. And then you go, well, it must be me. You know, I must mm. be the problem. I must not be good enough. I must not communicate well enough. And there's truth in some of that probably, you know, on some level when you're starting. But if you've been doing this a while and you do have clients that love your work, say you've got just, just but just like 10 clients, 10 clients that love you. That you do great work. You know, the process is good. They pay you your rate. I always tell people like when I meet people from the community here, like, you have proof of concept that you have value. You have proof of concept that you are a master engineer. Do you have the major label credit? No, but we all start without that at some point. Like, do you have a thousand records on your belt? No, we all started with zero. Like, but you've got, you know, 10. And those people really like it. And they paid you your rate and it was a good experience. So if you can have that, you don't need, you have to remember in this process of convincing and selling and pursuing, you don't need everybody to work with you. You just need like 10 really great clients like or 20, you know, and 30. And it'll grow if you keep doing this, you know, and apply what we talk about in our podcast. But, you know, I do a lot of work. And if you were to, I'm sure, calculate, you know, the thousands of songs I do a year divided by the millions, hundreds of millions of songs that probably come out each year, I, Sam Moses, Mo's mastering takes up 0.000000001% of the, the music that comes out. And I view myself, you know, as very successful, but I own basically a piece of dust in the share of it, you know, of the, of the mastering world, the music world. So I think for people, when they feel like they always have to convince people, it's like, let those people go, you know, present your service have some standards, have some boundaries, because that's, in my experience, what professionals do, and that's how you have longevity as well, sustainability. And know that your product is not for everybody, and that's not even a personal thing. Um, But you can't work with everyone, even if you knocked it out of the park. There's no way you could do every record ever, um, or even close to that, even if you were just the best of the best, best customer service, best mastering, best everything, best at convincing people. You don't have the capacity. You can only do record or two a day, you know, and that's cruising. So you can only do like 10 to 20 songs a day. And, you know, then there's thousands upon thousands of other songs you just won't be able to get to, no matter who's banging at your door. Mm. So anyway, that's part of that whole thing. I said it was going to be short, but that was like eight minutes. So that's my thought on that. (laughs) I think that we could probably wrap pretty close to that. Great. What do you say? I'm I'm down to wrap, but if you uh, if you have any thoughts, final closing conclusions, please share. 
I mean, ultimately, it's just kind of a little bit of an echo of what I was saying earlier. I mean, and you. is like, should you convince people to work with you? Uh, I mean, this is like one guy's opinion, just mine. Uh, I, I think that answer is no. Um, I don't think you should really have to twist anyone's arm or like force someone to like like bug someone into working with you. Um, however, if like there's like a relationship that's cultivated and like, you know, like it can be a friendship or whatever. It's like I wouldn't like lead someone on with a friendship for the sake of trying to get a sale. No. I don't think that's the I don't think that's the proper way. I think that's a touch, you know, um deviant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> touch maniacal. Um I don't uh, I don't think that's the right answer, but um I do think that you know just like you can like healthy pursue if like and you can judge the relationship too like if it's like y'all are like back and forth and whatnot and it's like I mean y'all are people y'all understand like DMs or it's like what the crazy thing is is like normally it's like if it evolves like normally people end up like sending you voice memos and like sending you pictures and be like yo just text me I'm never on Instagram so you got their cell phone number and um you're just like back and forth cutting up and whatnot and it's like it's like you know what like a you know a friendship looks like and you don't really need to pursue it it's like you can <clears throat> um so it's like i don't know it's like you're like a healthy pursuit of something if it turns into a friendship i mean that's even better then it's like you got a friend for life there really however right. much you nurture it but as far as sale, selling as far as like oh sell me this pen kind of thing it's like i don't really think that's a thing you need to do i mean when i was running my cigar store it was Right next to a uh, right next to a timeshare like sales place, and so it's like selling has a very kind of uh, bad taste in my mouth, and it's I don't know. It's like I saw these people. It's like and they would come out and they would talk about how they just screwed over the last like family and whatever. It's just like it's like you. Le- I've learned all these sales tactics and stuff, and it's like man, I don't want to use any of these. It's like I'd rather right. much just like cultivate a friendship. And be like, hey, yeah. And it's like, and if they choose me for to work on their record, then that's cool. But if not, then it's like, then they found a better fit. And it's like, ultimately, it's like, whatever's best for the music is what I want, not for me to make some cash off my friend. So, also, friends make money kind of weird, too. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Take, take the relationship as far as you want to go. Right. <clears throat> uh, anyway, um, I don't know. I think I leave this into the the hands of the listener. I, I guess, um, but that's all. That's all. That's all my opinion. So, what do you want to do? That's. I, I think uh, I want to hear from y'all. Should you? Should you sell? Should you convince? Should you cultivate? Should you pursue? I want to hear from the listener. Shoot us a DM. Shoot us uh, an email. Drop us a line. You know, drop the landline. <laughs> well. Uh, I would love to hear what, yeah. uh, what y'all's opinion is. So anyway, if you liked what we said, if you wouldn't mind uh, leaving us some stars, some likes, some comments, um, we would appreciate it. Uh, if you hear the sweet beat in the background, that's uh, made by the one and only Sam Moses. He's made all these and like 160 plus. He hasn't repeated the same one twice. We wouldn't mind saying thank you to him for how great this episode sounds and all episodes. It would just really be an extension of my gratitude. So I appreciate it. Um, if you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. And uh, I mean, it's the same for Instagram or whether it's a handle, whether that's a website you want to go to. Um, besides that, uh, you got anything else for the people, Sam? No. It's great. Cool. If you wouldn't mind sharing this episode, I'd also appreciate it. And morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. And we'll catch y'all in the next episode. See ya. Cue the music. Cue it. Please. Thank you. I love the beat. I'm like, bomb my head to the Yeah. All right. See ya. <laughs>